0: You know, this last couple of weeks, I have been intensely researching a lot of information with respect to a campaign that we've got coming up in Toronto, Canada, next weekend as a matter of fact. Appreciate your prayers on all of that as well, that it will go uh, good and, and it will be successful. We're doing a presentation Adrian Davis and I will be sharing. Uh, He'll be giving a presentation in the morning at around 11 a.m. This is in the Toronto area uh, over off of Bayview Road. So for those of you in Canada, if indeed you're on the webcast, uh, we will start with our first presentation next Sabbath, August 12th, at about 11 a.m. and then the afternoon session after lunch is provided. I'll be uh, talking about, uh, again, in the same theme on the rapture at about two o'clock in the afternoon, and that'll be next Sabbath in Toronto. But in so doing, my point being in all of this is that I've been doing a lot of research with regards to the rapture, and then I get, as oftentimes, distracted, (laughs) and I trail off into other subjects, and needless to say, there is an awful lot of confusion on the internet with respect to a lot of religious subjects, rapture being one of them for sure, and of which uh, some of the arguments, perceptions, understandings which uh, certainly illustrate how much fake understanding, fake information, fake news as they say is out there with respect to some of these topics, the rapture being one, uh, but also the other being prophecy. Amazing. I mean, ideas out there that just flabbergast me in many respects. I mean, there are people out there today who think we are in the tribulations because Donald Trump is the president of the United States of America. I mean, they think also on August twenty. First, is it August twenty-first? Yeah, August twenty-first. We're having a solar eclipse, right? And this is an announcement from God that the rapture is going to occur on September twenty-third. Here we go again. You know, we had the Mayan calendar. We had Harold, uh, whatever his name was, who passed away. Uh, that Camping, Harold Camping, thank you, who said the world was going to end back in 2013 or 14? Two times he had to revise it because it didn't happen in the spring, so he revised it for the fall. It didn't happen again. And then, of course, we had the blood moons. You remember the blood moons? Oh, everything. God is speaking to us through these signs, which were natural, astronomical signs. There's nothing supernatural about the blood moons. They do indeed happen on a regular basis, although they're, you know, spaced apart pretty uh, Uh, Much, But nevertheless, it's not to dismiss the fact they are natural astronomical cycles that the universe just, you know, tick-tocks away and goes around. But it's amazing. It really is amazing on how much confusion there is, misappropriation, mischaracterization, misunderstandings about prophecy. And one I want to talk about today and spend some time a little bit on it. I probably won't be able to get into the kind of detail I'd like to do because, frankly, this would really warrant and merit a nice Bible study. However, let me say this as an adjunct to this, as an enhancement to what we're going to be covering. Wayne and I, Wayne Hendricks and I, did a web chat. Many of you who are familiar with web chats, if you're not familiar with the web chat, you can go to CGI.org, cut across the top to where you see Armor of God, hit on that, let the drop-down links uh, drop down, and hit on Armor of God web chat. And then search out, once you get there, on a subject that Wayne and I covered, two guys sitting in a chair talking, you can eavesdrop on our conversation because that's what it was, and essentially watch and listen to what we say about what we're going to talk about today in a little bit more detail. And that is, is Revelation 13 the description of the United States of America in prophecy? So I want to turn your attention over to Revelation chapter 13, because that's where we're going to start. And we're going to start by essentially quoting some things, of all things, from the Seventh-day Adventist, the largest Sabbath-keeping organization on planet Earth that we know of, with the greatest amount of Sabbath-keeping members who believe, who believe, that Revelation 13, verses 11 through the end of the chapter, 18, 11 through 18, describes the United States of America in the latter days. Now, I'm going to quote from one of their booklets here with regards to the USA in Bible prophecy. And uh, they pass this out oftentimes Uh, when they do these campaigns to illustrate what they're going to be talking about, and they use it as a workbook. And on page 2, it states this. Please read Revelation 13, 11 through 18, before beginning this guide, because these eight verses give a prophetic picture of the United States in the days ahead. So here we are now. We're going to read about America in prophecy. Verse 11, And I beheld another beast... Coming up out of the earth, he had two horns like a lamb. He spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the power of the first beast. We'll describe the first beast here in a moment, but we're going to start here. We'll get back to verses 1 through 10 in a minute. Before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Mark that, whose deadly wound was healed goes ahead and continues. Verse 13, he does great wonders, this second beast does, so that he, the second beast, makes fire come down from heaven and on earth in the sight of all men, deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had to do in the sight of the beast, that is the first beast, saying to them who dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, the first beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And you'll see that in a moment in verses 1 through 10, that the first beast was the one that has the wound that's uh, basically healed. He goes on here and he says, verse 15, and had the power to give life to the image of the beast. The image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast, they should be killed. Verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand, very symbolic of work, and in their foreheads, meaning com- uh, your, your passions, your thoughts, and so forth, your commitments to this thing. And that no man might buy or sell. If you don't have this mark, you cannot be a citizen of this system once it begins to engage. You've got to have this in order for you to be able to hold down a job, to buy and to sell, even to eat and so forth. Save except he that had the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name, which we understand, as it pointed out here in verse 18, which I will cut to the chase as 666, the number of man. Uh, A lot of reason or a lot of uh, room here for discussion, but the point that I want to make is, and I want to illustrate to you something that is very deceptive. Page 3, oh, page 4. Same booklet. Here we go. You just read what I read, right? You heard what I read. You read along with me, right? Here we go. Watch this. Question out of the booklet. Seven-day Adventists. What is symbolized by its two lamb-like horns and absence of crowns? Verse 11. Another beast coming up out of the earth had two horns, no crowns, like a lamb, and spoke as a dragon. Here we go. Answer. Horns represent kings and kingdoms or governments, Daniel 7, he references. In this case, in this case, verse 11, in this case, they represent the United States. Mm -hmm. Hello, how'd that happen? Are you with me? Where do you get that from? Why not Russia? Russia? Why not Saudi Arabia? Why not Canada? Or Australia? I mean, why the United States? But we'll read on here. This is the answer. He goes on. In this case, they represent the United States. Two governing principles, civil and religious liberty. These two governing principles, because it had two horns, have also been labeled republicanism, a government without a king. That's why there's no crowns. And Protestantism a church without a pope where is this coming from why do they say this because they can who would even advance this because there are people out there who believe this and will take it to the bank it goes on another question what does it mean when prophecy when the prophecy in revelation thirteen eleven says the united states will speak as a dragon. Verse 11, two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon, because we've got to include that. If this is the United States, it's got to speak like a dragon, right? Here's the answer. What does it mean when it says that the United States will speak as a dragon? And notice question six already now lays down the premise that you've agreed to the fact that this is the United States. Did you notice that? Very subtle, very subtle, but they state... What does it mean when the prophecy in Revelation 13, 11 says the United States? They automatically assume the United States will speak as a dragon. Okay, answer. As we learned in the study guide, the dragon is Satan. We understand that, right? Agreed? Dragon is Satan. I agree. Who works through various governments of the earth to establish his evil kingdom and crush God's church by persecuting and destroying his people. I agree. little truth. I agree. That's, that's true. It's in there. That's good. I agree. Watch this now. Satan's aim always has been to usurp God's power and throne and to force people to worship and obey Him. I agree. I agree. I agree. So, speaking as a dragon means that the United States, under the influence of Satan, will, in the end time, force people to worship contrary to their conscience Or be punished? Question seven. Page five. What will specifically, what specifically will the United States do that will cause it to speak as a dragon? What will it do specifically to be considered it speaking as a dragon? Answer? Answer? The United States will lead all nations of the world in forcing worship of and allegiance to the papal Antichrist. I mean, how do you even get this from this, verses 11 through 18? It is total interpretation, brethren. Don't you agree? You're assigning certain things here in the Bible to what you want it to fit so that they can develop this narrative according to how they want you to believe the very Word of God. Now let's go over here, turn back, in my Bible I've got to turn back a little bit to chapter 13, we're still in 13, and we're going to go here to verse 1. I stood upon the sand of the sea, saw a beast rise up out of the sea. This is very symbolic. Having seven heads, ten horns, upon his uh, horns, ten crowns, there you go, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Verse 2, the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, all right? Now we're getting some, we're getting some symbols here. A leopard, his feet were uh, as the feet of a bear, his mouth, his mouth of a lion, and the dragon, which we understand to be Satan, gave him power and his seat and great authority. I saw one of his heads as it were wounded. In other words, it was alive before and became wounded uh, or slain. Uh, You could use the Greek word there to mean killed, to death. And his deadly wound was healed. So it's coming back from what it was previous. That's what we're being told. Uh, Basically, whatever this thing is, its wound was healed. And all the world... The whole world, when this thing comes back, is going to be stunned. They're going to be stunned at the size and the scope and magnitude of this thing. And you'll see where I'm coming from when I say what I just said, because uh, as we move on here, the world wondered at the beast, verse 4, and they worshipped the dragon, which gave power to the beast, and worshipped the beast, saying, who's like the beast Who's able to make war with him? You see, this thing is a great, powerful machine, a tremendous, influential, gargantuan, powerful power in, in the world and has a prowess of, of basically a military might. There was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, Power was given to him to continue three and a half years, that's 42 months. He opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blasphemy his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. It was given unto him to make war with God's church, to make war with the saints and overcome them, meaning he gets advantage on them, he beats them up, he has his way with the saints. Goes on. And power was given to him over all kindreds, all ethnicities, all tongues, nations. This is a world-ruling empire with great global influence all over the world. That's what we're hear, hearing here. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life, and the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world, if any man has an ear, let him hear. Interesting. Now, it's very important we understand that's the bad guy. (laughs) That's the bad guy. And my point to make that better and clearer for you is in chapter 14, Verse 9, the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worships the beast... Remember, John is in vision here. He's receiving this information on the Isle of Patmos via angelic intervention. And he is being taken along in this vision and being told these things. And he says here, if any man, verse 9, chapter 14, book of Revelation, worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of this indignation. He shall be tormented with fire, that is the individual who receives this mark, brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. God is not fooling around. If you are alive during this time and the reality that you're living in now is demanding for you to concede to some kind of governmental control by which you will not be able to hold down a job and or eat or uh, basically sell goods and services, do not get it. Why? Because that's part of the bad guy's realm. People who think you're in the tribulations today, brethren, by far, we have no idea. We are not in the tribulations yet. I still have more than one car. Many of you still have a job. We're still paying our taxes. I don't know about you, but right now as I stand before you, my 401k is better than it was last year. I think things are doing pretty good. For right now, all things being considered in context with what could be, if indeed other ways and directions may have occurred, the tribulations? Come on. We're nowhere near the tribulations, brethren. And let me prove this to to all of us as we proceed because it's important that we get some context in all of this. That's where people go wrong. They don't tether themselves, they don't connect themselves to any context because of their ignorance of God's word because, let's face it, we're a secular humanistic society that does not take the time to become familiar with this literally millennial old document called the Old and New Testaments. Most of us, even in God's church, shame to say, shame to say, don't know God's word like we should. Whereas if indeed you understand the context by which John is being driven to connect up with, there's no way, brethren, you could be deceived into thinking we're living in the tribulation as we stand today. So, are we to really think the solar eclipse on the 21st of August is a sign from God that the rapture is going to occur on September 23rd, two days after the Feast of trumpets of this year? Brethren, get real. We've been there before, with camping, with the Mayan calendar, with blood moons. Don't take that bait. No prophecy. Understand the context of what these words are all about. Let's go back. Chapter 13, let me reemphasize. Verse 2, let me take this real slow. You've got a leopard, a bear, a lion, and Satan giving it the power. Where is the context in this symbolism that John is referencing that will help us to understand what we can assign to the meanings of this leopard, bear, and lion. Is there some place that we, in context, with this theme of prophecy, can go back, connect, and lock up with? Yes, there is. Many of you know it, and I hope all of us know it. Daniel 7. Follow me back. Daniel 7. Daniel, very important book. We're going through it in the Bible study. Why is it an important book? Because it is a demarcation in the sand. For the first time, no nation of Israel exists on planet Earth. The ten tribes have gone into captivity. They don't exist. The two tribes that are left are now under the heel of the Babylonians. Daniel is incarcerated. As a POW along with many other Jews, of which more Jews will be taken captive in the ensuing invasions of the Babylonians in the years yet to come, as we've already described in the introduction to the book of Daniel. And we'll get into more detail about that in Daniel 1 on August 26th. But the point that I want to make here is as we proceed through the book of Daniel, we'll finally come up on chapter 7 and we'll be reiterating some of these things later on, even in more context. But to hit the high points and just to kind of skim across the water here, bring your attention over here to the fact that Daniel, verse 2, is having a vision. And it's by night. Verse 3. Four great beasts come up out of the sea. This is Daniel 7, verse 3. One from another. The first one, look at this. Keep your finger over here. Put your fingers back in Revelation chapter 13. Keep one finger in Daniel 7. Go back to Revelation 13. Look what we see here. The first one was a lion and had eagle's wings. The second one was a bear. And it had three ribs in its mouth. And the third one, in verse 6, was a leopard. And it had four heads So you got four heads on a leopard, one head on a bear, and one head on a lion. That's six heads. And then you got a real ugly beast coming up next in verse 7, which is a fourth and dreadful beast, very terrible, strong exceedingly. It has great iron teeth. It devours and breaks in pieces, stamps the residue uh, with its feet, uh, and it um, was diverse from all the other beasts that were before it because it had, look at this, it had... 10 horns. So we've got a 7-headed, 10-horned beast. Revelation 13, having 7 heads and 10 horns. But over in Revelation 13, we have the add-on, the enhancement, of 10 crowns. Is that contradicting Daniel 7? No. You'll see that the 10 horns represent 10 kings. The Bible tells us that. Bill Watson doesn't need to tell you that. The Bible tells you that. So there's context here. There is historical context. And we understand, I won't uh, really uh, connect this up with Daniel 2 yet and all of that, but suffice it to say, Daniel 2... In Daniel 2, with the great image, you know, of gold and silver and so forth and the embodiment of that and how Daniel interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who had that dream. And Daniel portrays the clear indication that he, Nebuchadnezzar, is that head of gold. And consequently, he, Daniel says in Daniel 2, Three other empires will rise after you, Nebuchadnezzar. And he's telling Nebuchadnezzar this way back when, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, when the two of them are alive, Daniel and the king of Babylon, he's saying three other empires, Nebuchadnezzar, are going to follow you. These will mark the beginnings of the end times. It's kind of interesting to see how God precedes time because that was over 2,500 years ago, that that occurred. But nevertheless, the point being is that it was very clear, very clear that this Daniel 7 and Daniel 2 hook up as adjuncts or enhancements of clarity to help us understand the continuation of this. And then John, some 600 years later, as I said, Nostradamus has nothing over the Bible, nothing. But people don't appreciate this. John, the apostle in Revelation 13, when he's writing 600 years after Daniel was written, sees the same vision. He sees the same animals and connects up, validating what Daniel's talking about. And there's no doubt about it. Daniel says here in verse um, 16... As he comes on here, uh, he says, I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of this. And so, and Daniel's talking, I'll just uh, cut to the chase here, the context being that Daniel is getting closer to the angel that's bringing him this message because in verse 15 you can see that Daniel was grieved in his spirit in the midst of the body and his visions and so on, and he had a headache as a result of this. This was very intense on Daniel physically. And so verse 17 basically says what the interpretation of things, of these things were, as stated in 16. So verse 17, these great beasts, the lion, the bear, and the leopard with four heads, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom, possess the kingdom forever and ever. So, the short story is that God wins. The short story is after these four kingdoms rise and come to power, ultimately, in the long run, the good guys, as I've often said, win. That's the short story. That's the short story. But as it says here, Daniel says, verse 19, now I would have you know the truth of the fourth beast. And then he proceeds to describe some things about the fourth beast. Now, before I go on with that, I want to add a sidebar. I want to add a sidebar to bring you up to speed because all we've identified up to this point in your Bible historically is that the head of gold and this lion are one and the same, and Daniel already identified who the head of gold was, and we understand by extension who the lion is to be Babylon. But how do we identify the next two kingdoms and empires that are to arise so that we understand the flow of the storyline, what the timeline is, what are we talking about, so that we can comprehend the fact and understand in the process and unfolding of prophecy a little bit about where we really are on the storyline. Well, over here in chapter 8. Let's just spend a little time in chapter 8. We have a, I'm going to just really do a summary here, thumbnail sketch, because we'll be going back to this as we go line upon line through the book of Daniel. So I'm just going to kind of hit these high points. But in chapter uh, 8 of verse 5, we uh, see another vision that comes to uh, Daniel. And essentially what uh, it boils down to is we see a ram and a he-goat. He talks about in verse 5, "...I was considering, behold, and a he-goat came from the west." on the face of the whole earth, touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing before the river. I saw him, verse 7, come close unto the ram, and he was moved with, and in the Hebrew this word kolar means basically bitterness or vexation or he was sorely mad and aggravated and he came and moved with aggravation or vexation against him, smote the ram, broke his two horns, and there was no power in that ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground, stamped upon him. There was none that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it, that is, out of that he-goat, when the great horn was broken, came up four notable ones. So out of that he-goat, when the great horn was broken, it disseminated or it broke up in, it fractured into four great notable ones. Now, the association with that easily can be tethered to the leopard who had four heads The leopard was a leopard with four heads. And there was a bear. And the Bible's talking about the possibility, not the possibility, but the fact, that a he-goat or a ram and a he-goat came and they hit each other, and the he-goat won, beat the ram up, took over. And after it took over, the great horn that was in the beginning broke, and out of it, four popped up. Historically speaking, What do we've got here? Let's drop down. Let the Bible interpret itself. Let's drop down. So, verse 16, I heard a man's voice between the banks of Yulai, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man, make Daniel, Gabriel, make Daniel understand this. Wow. Visitation. Gabriel breaks the veil of time and space and enters our reality as a time traveler. there he is. Wow. Heavy stuff. He says here, So he came near where I stood, Daniel. And when he came, I was afraid. I fell on my face, Daniel. But he said to me, No, no, understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be this vision. This is a time of the end, relatively speaking. And remember, a thousand years is like a day to God. A thousand years is like a day. We're talking like 2,500 years ago about this, and we're already being told these are the end days. That's God's concept of time. So he says to Daniel, look, these are, these are things that shall be um, for the end. Now, verse 18, Now, as he's speaking with me, I was in deep sleep on my face toward the ground. He touched me. He set me upright. So Gabriel touches Daniel. And he sets him up. (laughs) I'll tell you what, this is some really amazing stuff here that you're reading. Gabriel is literally in connection now with Daniel. And he's saying, Daniel, I want you to understand this. This is easy to understand. We'll be really clear. I'm going to be plain on this. This is context, brethren. You don't need to be assigning stuff to things. And we, of all people, should not be naive enough to believe the interpretations, regardless of how large the body of believers might be and even if they're Sabbath keepers. There is great deception throughout the world, brethren. And sadly, many have fallen to the, to the demise of these deceptions. Verse 19, Behold, I'm going to make you know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. For at the time appointed, the end shall be. The ram which you saw having two horns are the Medes and the Persians. Boom! I don't need to say anything. The Bible tells us. Do we get that? Babylon, history, forget the Church of God International, history, Babylon, who beat the Babylon's, the Babylonians up? The Medes and the Persians, look it up, Google it, the Medes and the Persians, and they went on for a few years, and then what happened? A great horn, well, let's, let's see, and the rough goat is the king of Greece. The king of Greece. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. This is your Bible through the words of Gabriel explaining to Daniel who he set him up. Daniel, listen, watch my lips. Daniel. <laughs> you know, he's talking to him. He's saying, look, the ram is the Medes and the Persians. That represents the two horns. And guess what? The others is the kings of Greek, Greece. And the first king was the great horn that took down the Medes and the Persians. History. Forget the CGI. History. Who beat up the Medes and the Persians? Alexander the Great, the first king, who died a young death. And out of that young death, Four generals popped up. Wow. This is this beats Nastodamus. Four generals popped up. Their names. Seleucus, Ptolemy, Cassandra, and Lysimachus or Lysimachus. Four generals. Lysimachus and Cassandra were beat up by the Seleucids. The Seleucids, however you want to pronounce it, and the Ptolemies. The Ptolemies represented the king of the south, a pattern, boom, a pattern, the king of the south. The Seleucids represented the king of the north, boom, a pattern, important, Mark. That pattern comes back in the end times, Daniel 11, in another vision. This is good stuff. This, this is really good stuff. Once you understand the context, we don't need to make nothing up. We don't need to assign interpretations. It's all there by and from the words of angelic beings who visited Daniel the prophet and who visited John the apostle and then validating and confirming the words by 600 years apart. 600 years apart. Your Bible is speaking out to you. One of the best proofs of your Bible is fulfilled prophecy. Prophecy. I stand here before you, brethren, to submit to you that before the Medes and the Persians rose to power, before the Greeks rose to power and the four generals followed suit after Alexander the Great and before the fourth kingdom, I'll just cut to the chase, being Rome, ever existed, the Bible was already telling us this is what's going to happen. So that when it happens, you will know that I told you it would happen before it would happen so that when it happens, you'll know it came from me. So here we can look back from our Monday night or maybe Tuesday night because i got Monday night football, Tuesday night quarterbacking, from our Tuesday night quarterbacking, and we can say, guess what? The plan is unfolding accordingly. There's not one little brick out of place They all build this story that you're a part of whether you like it or not, that I'm a part of it, whether we like it or not. It's a story that we're all part and parcel to, and it's unfolding right before our eyes and has been unfolding since the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And so here we see four kings, and then verse 22, now that being broken, whereas four stood up, for at four kingdoms, shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. Verse twenty-three, just like in a dream, it time travels. It's a quantum leap forward to the end time beast. And in the latter time of their kingdom, the latter time of this great old Macedonian Babylonian resurrection. Because that's what we're reading. When the transgressors are come to full, verse 23, a king of fierce countenance, understanding dark sentences, shall stand up. There were people that thought President Obama was the beast. Today they think President Trump is the beast. Years ago they thought uh, the, uh, Pope Paul was the Antichrist and the false prophet. Brethren, I submit to you, when this stuff starts unfolding, you're going to know. You're going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And we are not at this time in the tribulations. We're not. Regardless of solar eclipses, regardless of blood moons, Mayan calendars, and herald camping prophecies, we're not. Now, am I giving you license to be complacent? No, no, not at all, brethren, not at all. And why do I say that? Because we're living in a day and age when any, as I said, knucklehead with some kind of a harebrained idea goes a little wacko off the grid like uh, Kim on un who just feels he can't hold back his trigger finger anymore and lobs some kind of a nuke, not even in the United States. Let's just say Tokyo. Or some terrorist decides to get a harebrained idea and proceeds to booby trap a few cabs in Manhattan. Or maybe become even the cab drivers, I don't know. The reality of it is we live in a very volatile time where anything could trigger, literally, a global conflict. And there's a lot of tension. I don't need to remind any of you. You, Many of you are plugged in uh, probably far too much, in some cases, to what's going on around the world. But the point of it is, I don't think I'd get much of an argument with anybody about the fact that we're living in a very volatile time. Back to this Seventh-day Adventist pamphlet on page two again. This I agree with. Can it really be true? The United States in Bible prophecy, absolutely, they say. I agree with that. The United States is in prophecy. Without a doubt, the United States is mentioned in prophecy. Without a doubt. It goes on here. When you think about it, and this makes sense. When you think about it, if you think about it, it makes sense that the most powerful and influential nation on earth will play a vital role in the final stunning events of the world's closing history. I agree. It does. It's in here, without a doubt. The United States, the West, the British Commonwealth, Canada, Australia are in here. New Zealand is in here. These are the most powerful cultures in the world. If God would forget them and yet talk about small nations like Egypt, Libya, the Jews, I mean, if he's going to talk about those little little nations, why would he forget some of the greatest, most influential cultures the world has ever known? Well, he didn't, and he hasn't. I go on back here. But even more surprises await you as the Bible reveals how the leading nations of the world came to exist and why. And yes, brethren, it is a tremendous surprise to understand how to uncover the identity of the United States of America and the Brits and the Commonwealth of Great Britain and its kingdom in Bible prophecy. And for those of you who may be unaware of it, I'd like to recommend that you write into the home office. And if you haven't listened to the 12 hours of presentations going through and outlining some of the historical migrations and a lot of the history associated with affording you some insight on how the United States became settled. How the rise to such wealth and such size and scope that the British Commonwealth Empire took on and why it was so blessed in so many ways. And literally, the statement of the fact, and many of us are well aware of that statement, that the sun never set on merry old England. What is that all about? That is about the statement of the fact that wherever the Union Jack flag flew, it was daylight. That's how much land they controlled at the peak of their power. So I would recommend that you write into the home office and get the 12-hour presentation of the biblical origins of the United States and Great Britain. And that will help you to understand and to put again some context in parallel with the rise of these Gentile nations and empires and how they interplay with the rise of the birthrighted people of which God was obligated and mandated to provide back in Genesis 12 when he told Abraham he would become a great nation and through his seed all the world. All the world would be blessed. And that seed we know to be Jesus Christ, son of David, through the tribe of Judah, who was the son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. It's an amazing story. It is an amazing story. And God is navigating. He's steering this. I mean, in such precision, it's almost hard to believe. When I say these things to those of you and uh, those of us in the church about these, I hope you deeply appreciate the effort, the, the pristine accuracy of each one of these steps to match these words and descriptions on how they've all come to fruition to provide us with the validation and authenticity of how these things can be real. I've often said God's painted Himself into a corner. And the corner is defined by a pre-written script because He's already told us the story. And why has He told us the story in advance? So that when it happens, before it happens, we can know it came from Him. That's the key. That's what prophecy is all about. That's why prophecy is a tremendous proof of the validation, the validity of the Bible if you just take the time and match history with the Bible. History with the Bible. More history with the Bible. And see what the Bible has to say and then view history and compare the two. And you will find in every case the Bible defines or underscores the historical record of mankind's legacy. It's a fact. It's a fact. We are part of a reality, brethren, a reality of which we are all participants in. And whatever roles we're playing is by virtue of our choice, and that's why it's very important we model our lives after Jesus Christ, because that's the path in to God's kingdom. It's not Muhammad, it's not Buddha, it's not, you know, the Hindus. There's only one name. That's why Christians are hated because they view us as as, uh, exclusivists. But the fact of it is, the time is coming, you're going to read about these. I'm not going there today, but in Daniel 7, we didn't read about it, how this beast, when he rises, we read it a little bit and touched on it a little bit in Revelation 13, but when he rises and becomes ensconced in his power setting, he will have his way with Christians. As a matter of fact, Where we're heading, Revelation, let's go back to the book of Revelation for a moment. And chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6, let me say this, and I've said this before so some of you perhaps will view me as being redundant, but let me just remind all of us, for those of you on the internet, uh, perhaps this would be somewhat new to you, there are three major wars, actually four, there's four, including Armageddon, but we're going to put Armageddon off to the side. There's actually three major wars described in the book of Revelation. Three major wars. And it's interesting to see how they unfold in the sequence of events because Revelation is a sequencing book. It's a sequencer of prophetic events that are yet to occur in the future. We're not there yet, but we're on our way. And where we're heading is to a globalist world as described in a one world order in Revelation 17. So regardless of how excited some of us may be in this nationalist, revived nationalist movement as defined by Brexit and Donald Trump's election and all of that, don't get on your horses too high because the fact of it is your Bible says the nationalists lose. You will become a world without borders. There is a one world order coming and you will be marked so that you can integrate with that world order as it comes. That's what your Bible's talking about. i would never thought I'd say these things from the lectern. 15, 20 years ago, I think I'd, I'd be saying, Watson, you've lost your mind. But the fact of it is, Revelation 17 describes 10 kings pooling their power and their assets together with a dictator to basically ravage the world. And for a while... It becomes very beneficial to the world. You can read about how beneficial in Revelation 18. Read between the lines as you read the demise of this beast uh, power. But back to what I was saying. In Revelation 6, we have the well-known, famous, or infamous, four horsemen. Many of you have heard that term associated with the first four seals of seven seals in Revelation. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not dismissing the fact that the book of Revelation is laid out in three sets of seven. The book of Revelation is indeed laid out in three sets of seven. I'm just saying there are three wars, salt and peppered throughout those three sets of seven, that lead up to Armageddon. So the, these here, the seals, are seven seals, of which the seventh seal opens up into the seven trumpets. And we understand that. Of which ultimately will lead to the seven vials, or as some have described them, the seven last plagues. But rolling that back, because I just want you to understand I'm not dismissing the three sets of seven, but rolling that back, in that, there are three major wars described in your Bible. In Revelation 6, I want to bring your attention to the fact of these four, first four seals, It says here, I saw a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown and was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And again, I'm not going to go there because I don't have a lot of time, but you can connect this up with Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, chapters 21, 13 of Mark, and 24, chapter of Matthew. Connect them up with the words of Jesus Christ, You could connect them up with the words of Jesus Christ and let Jesus interpret these. You don't need me to interpret these, but I will say this. What Jesus claims is that false prophets are going to come first. People who claim to know Jesus Christ or who may even claim they are Jesus Christ. We've had a few wackos that have done that, too, where they've actually claimed to be Jesus Christ. But most people will claim they know Jesus and attempt to try to teach you that they think they know what Jesus taught, and consequently will go forward explaining to you uh, about everything from soup to nuts about what they think Jesus taught. And I, I for the life of me, in looking at some of these uh, presentations on the internet, it is amazing, and in some cases, it's enough to make you want to pull your hair out with what they say and what they teach, and and how they think. They can persuade people to believe the Bible says this, that, or the other thing when the Bible does not say that. And some of the most basic things, I mean, where does the Bible say Christmas should be observed? It doesn't. Where does the Bible say you should, you know, dye eggs and eat chocolate bunnies for Easter as it relates to the resurrection of Jesus? What does that have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? It doesn't. Is it in the Bible? No, it's not in the B- These are basic fundamental things, let alone some of the more intricate uh, nuances that we could go into. But those are just basic, fundamental. How did all these things change? What happened to get people to think Jesus Christ was born on December 25th and now we should celebrate that birthday of his? And by the way, instead of giving him gifts, we exchange gifts among us. <laughs> In other words, I would think you should just give more money to the church. You know? It's his birthday. Give more money to the church. Don't buy yourselves gifts. All the money that you spend on each other, and giving give each other's gifts? Ah, don't do that. Give it to the church. You know? It's his birthday, right? But the fact of it is, we don't, we don't think through things. Sadly, tradition has blinded the eyes of literally, I know it's a heady statement, millions, billions of people, on this planet. And tradition's a hard thing to break. Well, tradition is a tremendous tool to blind people from what is really true. What is really true. It takes time. Got to study. Got to look it up. Me standing up here flapping my mouth, I don't expect to change anybody's mind, be it even on the Internet. I expect, perhaps, to be, you to be motivated to look into some of these things and convince yourself between your own ears and the quietness of your own home as you study through some of these. But in Revelation 6, we have false prophets, a white horse that looks righteous. In the second one, it's pretty clear here that um, uh, it was a, a red horse, second seal, red horse. And it was uh, intended, this symbol, was intended to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. And, of course, Jesus' words continue in the progression in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 of false prophets and rumors of wars and so on. The third seal is a black horse, and you've got the description of balances and measures of barley and penny. Famines and pestilence is certainly uh, very apt to be described. And then the fourth seal is what I want to focus your attention Attention to here, brethren, because I think we have a tendency to just simply overread this and minimize it, and we shouldn't. When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast. I looked, verse 8, behold, a pale horse in his name sat on him was death and hell. That's death and hell. Hades. Doesn't mean a place where there's demons in red stocking suits running around trying to stab you with a pitchfork. No, that, that's not in the Bible either. All this means is a hole in the ground. Death, graves, where there's dead bodies, you have graves, Hades, it's a Greek word, Hades, grave, so where you have dead people, you have graves, so you put the dead people in the graves, that's what it's talking about, you have uh, death and hell, you have death and graves, followed with him, power was given unto them over the fourth part, 25% of the earth, to kill with a sword, hunger, death, and the beasts of the earth. 25% of 7 billion people is like 21 times the death toll of World War II. 70 million died, if you stretch the numbers as best you can, they say 50 to 70 million, million with an M, million, died in World War II. This is like 1.75 billion. 25% of mankind is going to die in a war that's coming up. And look at the next seal. Look at the next seal. What have we been reading? The next seal is martyrdom, Christian, Christian martyrdom. What, does the, what, what have we been reading in regards to the Christians and what's coming down on us? That this beast rising is going to have its way with Christians. It's going to kill Christians. What do we have then? Then we have the real signs of the times. Now we've got real blood moons coming because the sixth seal is the signs in the sky. And the seventh seal, buckle up, hang on because it's going to be a wild ride from here, because the seventh seal opens up to the seven trumpets described in Revelation chapter 8. So here we go. It's like a roller coaster. Wow, you think that first hill was bad. Wait till you get a, get a handle on the second hill. So we just get more intense as we go forward, like a woman in birthing, going to the ultimate end of giving birth to the baby the manifestation of the sons of God. So, brethren, we need to keep this in mind uh, that certainly we are not in the tribulations. Uh, there is certainly going to be great s- uh, signs in the sky. Uh, the seven trumpets, as I say, uh, certainly will open up. But this, all this just marks the beginning. And here's what I want to say, and I want to end it with here. Marks the beginning of a world without the United States of America. What's coming at the United States at some point in the future is not a pretty sight. There are other prophecies that illustrate the future of America and the birthrighted people of God who have fallen grossly short of being the light on the hill that they should be as a culture of people abiding by the laws of God, the principles of God, and the values of God as personified by Jesus Christ. But that's a story for another presentation.